You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Hey, Dan, how's the weather where you're at today? How's the weather? What kind of start to a podcast is that, Michael? That's how we used to start our podcast. It was just two minutes of talking about weather. We had no clue that podcasts transcended time and space, that people with totally different weather experiences listening in totally different times just found that probably pretty irrelevant. We didn't know what we were doing back at the beginning of this thing. We were, you know, there's a lot less gray in my beard. And uh, it was a different time back then. It was. It was 2016 is when we started. And I think we've told the magical story before, right? We had we had met on social media. Yes, that is true. We'd met on Twitter where teachers were talking about social studies. Largely Lots of using... talking on, yeah. It was, a, yes. it was an optimistic time back then. It was. And so, we, we well, first I asked you, sounded kind of almost like asking you on a date, but I asked you if you would be on a podcast with me. Yes, it was very exciting. I told, yeah, I told everyone I was, I, I think I jumped. I mean, I don't think I had jumped, but I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was totally in. It was very exciting. I had never noticed so that before. Yeah, it was, it was the first time I'd asked it. So I had to muster up my courage. And then our first couple episodes, we just to get the hang of it and try things out. We just interviewed each other. That was it. It was back and forth. And so there episode- were the episodes. The preposes. That's right. And we were very so ep- clever. Episode one, we started with I talk, I was starting to research social media and education. And I think really this must have been like right before I took a lot more critical turn on oh, social yeah. media and technology. And th- this is the there's the old Douglas Adams quote, which by the way, I'll preview later. You can find on our website. We'll talk about. Uh, but like when you're I'm gonna paraphrase it, but you know, when you're young, like everything, all the technology that, you know, already existed is natural to the world. When you're like anything invented from when you're 15 to 35 is amazing and you can get a new job in it. And then Mm -hmm. 35 and older, it's like the end of the world. Like this technology is evil and terrible and needs to go away because it wasn't around in my youth. I think I passed the threshold. I must have passed 35. Oh yeah. I think yes. You're well past 35 at this point. But it was cool. So I listened back to our old episodes. Yeah. And I definitely was a lot more optimistic and I was grounding it a lot in my experiences, my relational experiences with finding social studies teachers on Twitter. And actually, I think the most meaningful things actually came to the relationships that came off Twitter, right? Like us doing the podcast. Right. Uh, I started a research partnership with Jeff Carpenter that I mentioned. So like some real human relationships started out of that. Yeah, no, there was some great stuff in the early days. Weirdly, I'm not even on Twitter anymore. And yeah. I used to like, it was so fun. I had such a good time on it. I loved hanging out, sharing like stupid historical questions. Uh, like what, I think I talked about this, like what Marvel characters would be in World War II. Like who would mm-hmm. be who? Like really stupid stuff that was awesome. We made like, oh, this is one of my favorite days where we, we made historical video games. Like, well, I mean, yeah, there was, it was just really stupid stuff. Just messing around with names of things. Oh, I loved it. You could tell we were having fun, you know, being teachers. It was very dorky and fun. You can also see how your perspective shifts, right? Like 
I, I feel like as you learn more history, you learn more things in the world, you're like, you know, even just we were talking about um, like in class discussions of like which presidents would win a knife fight. And we were like making lots of jokes about it. We mentioned I remember mentioning even James Madison. Now I'm like, I can't even mention James Madison without getting over the fact that he was a slave owner. Right. Like that's the primary thing now. And I don't mm. think early in my career based on like you know, what I read coming up that that was my first thing I thought about. Um, and so my, sh my perspective is shift as I've learned more. Cause it's like James Madison's not as funny to some people. If you know that mm. history. Yeah. Yeah. Some is very complex and nuanced. And I feel like those are complexity and nuance are like two things that we just talk about all the time. Like it's, it's a, it's a nuanced perspective about things. And and things that don't always play well over Twitter, right? Twitter, that's another. Yes, I mean, you know, yeah. And, it's, and that's increasingly why it's just, uh, you know, social media. It's not a place to learn from someone else. It's a play. A pl it's a place to like, you know, show your identity, state your beliefs, mm -hmm. um, and kind of want other people. And and there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's all negative, but it doesn't feel like the same place where I used to grow from. Um, but also, you know, I don't know. Some of the SS chat stuff, I think, was just like endorphins like yeah shooting because there's just tweets going all the time i'm like i don't oh. know if i always was able to take all that and be a better teacher with all of it but it was so fun though <laughs> and then so in, and i listened to episode two you talked about student dialogue during the research process which was yeah i literally re-listening to it was like i'm gonna do this like this semester i think it's a great idea so you i i was I, too i re-listened to it and i'm like oh my goodness that was amazing yeah so i definitely i did that for a number of years and so, and so remind have, people what it is. Oh, sorry. So, so my juniors have this big research paper that they work with throughout the year or during a quarter. And it's uh it's a big task. It's a big task. It's the first like very large scale paper that they've written. And so a couple of times along the journey, they would record themselves just talking about their research in just in the vernacular, just like them talking about it. So they could, I can kind of sense their understanding. And it was just like, sometimes they had questions. And so they'd record themselves, like record their voices. And while they were, as I was listening, I would just be able to respond to them right then and then give them feedback pretty quickly. It was great. It was a, a great project. Students really seemed to like it then. They thought that it was a good way to, to just talk themselves through things. I could hear where they were struggling. I could also hear when they made connections and it was super awesome. And then I think, and I feel like this was, Maybe a year prior to the pandemic, I just was having, I just didn't always have student buy-in with it. And so sometimes recording would be a little bit of a difficult. So we'd, I'd end up meeting with more people instead of doing the other. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's the, the idea is that they're talking. But then with their COVID uh, in the pandemic, we had to scale back our research paper. And that was one of the victims of, of that. It's, I mean, even looking back on it, I think the more I've thought about media and technology, the idea of like talking through your ideas can really help you clarify like what you want to write about. Right. And right. Cause I think some students they're they're rushing into the writing process where they don't always know everything about their topic, but like when they start trying to explain it to someone, you start seeing the gaps, you start asking each other questions and you see learning is social, right? Learn, right. Like, yeah. And so I, I think it's great. And I'm, I really think I may do it in my doc class this semester where we'll, give them opportunities to like do some writing. And instead of just having to read it first, what they do is then explain it to people. So they've worked right. through some ideas and now they're talking through some ideas and then maybe the next draft will actually do some reading. So 
it, I used to meet with students one-on-one when they would come to me, like after school, sometimes they'd have questions and we had really great, it was very, very productive. So then I had them start recording it as a way just to make it a lot easier to streamline things a bit. And so this way I could check in with everyone, but there's other ways I could replicate this. And so I just have to go back to the drawing board to figure out uh, something else. But isn't this the life of, you know, the teacher, the educator is that we're, we're kind of looping around ideas. Some of them we throw away. Some of my mm-hmm. suggestions about social media, I, I wouldn't do anymore. Some of them I did. I would still keep, yeah. you know, I'm, I just like I was then I'm still inspired by your idea. Oh, of, of talking through the the writing Just we're talking doing. through. Yeah. So if so you want to listen is... to those two episodes, they're one and two. <laughs> and they're there don't have as many listens as our other ones because a lot of people found us along the way. So this is episode 200, Michael. That's crazy. I think that means we're both 200 years old. It's... I think that is. Yes. Every year was like a, yeah, that is accurate. And, but it has been a journey and I feel like we've both grown a lot. I mean, our guests have been amazing. I, I don't even know where to start, like, you know, to talk about how many amazing guests we've had. Cause we really, oh, I guess 198. <laughs> and we've had some friends who jump on a few times. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, but you know, every single episode, I felt like I learned something really interesting. And I think that's another power of like, you know, podcasting is I always tell everyone it's my best professional development because I just get to talk to somebody who's really thought deeply about something and they come on here and they share it with us. And so if you can do, you know, do that, even if it's not a podcast, right, it's just finding people to share their ideas. We don't always even get to do that enough with fellow educators is just like, what is inspiring you? What's working in your classroom? Like what's motivating you? And just having opportunities to share ideas can really keep you kind of the fire under you as an educator. That could be a bumper sticker. Oh, that would be probably a little bit too long, but that's like a, a cute little, <laughs> you can embroider that on a sweater. Uh, yeah, I can a, do. A right. I, th- I think I've seen people who like have their dissertation, like on a, like a sweater. It's like all printed out super small. Oh, well, that's genius. We'll start, we'll start doing that with our transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> so today we actually get to hang out a little bit more with you and we get to continue to explore your idea about technology and civics, but you're not the only person here. And I hear you brought us some guests. One might be a repeat. I don't know. It's true. So why don't we welcome our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Dan. Hi, I'm Marie Heath. And I, the last time and the only other time I was on this podcast was when I talked about an article in social ed, which was Ken social media affect social change. So this feels like an appropriate slide in repeat performance here on the pod. So thank you for having me. I am a former social studies teacher, high school social studies teacher, and then I got my doctorate in educational technology. And so I kind of bring that social studies lens of thinking about the humanities and thinking about citizenship and thinking about uh, the ways that technology intersects with society to to the work that I do. And Dan and I have I maybe maybe the social maybe that was the first article we wrote together, actually. No. It, was it? It was in the vicinity. I can confirm that. Yes. Yes. And so since then, maybe that was just the seed of all of the of the work we've done since over your of over your hundred, two hundred pod years. <laughs> Well, and it's great to have a uh, one of my you know best friends in academia, and also just a good friend Marie on the podcast for the 200th episode because we've been working together for several years, and I feel like we've kind of evolved together in our thinking to the point we've been working together so long that sometimes now we can finish each other's sentences. 
Oh my gosh, how did that happen? That was very good. <laughs> my other guess was going to be Marvel, so that could have worked too. Well, I guess that 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 leaves me to to introduce myself, and I feel like you know I'm I'm sort of the invader here. So, in in, in both ways, so my name is Jacob Pleasance. I I'm an invader because I'm a science education person, and this is just another instance of you know the STEM acronym coming for more of intellectual space. So here we are representing the uh, the the ravenous maw of STEM. <laughs> I, I am a former high school physics and physical science teacher, which means, you know, I, I taught people's absolute favorite subjects every time. And from there, uh, when I was teaching high school, I, I always had sort of this interest in technology, but it really didn't sort of become something that I thought really seriously about until a little bit later on, where it really, when you, when I look at the whole emphasis on STEM. There's a lot of emphasis on technology and engineering, and it's just fascinating to think about what exactly does that even mean? Are people thinking very deeply about what those things mean and what they could mean? And it's been pretty challenging for me to find like-minded people within the STEM education space, which is why I was just incredibly excited to make contact with Dan and Marie and everybody else that's part of the Civics of Technology crew, many of whom have humanities backgrounds more than the technical side of things. And it's just been it's been a wild time. So I get to I get to straddle these these different worlds in some really fun ways. And it was really great to meet Jacob because I you know we kind of serendipitously met but I I when I you know first knew I was going to encounter Jacob I always look up people's articles that they've written and he had written this paper titled fundamental issues regarding the nature of technology and I looked at it and in this as part of like his literature review he read I I don't even remember it's like an absurd amount of books and I was like I want to talk to somebody who read this many books for a paper it was like if, I, I don't know if you remember, Jacob, how many books you read to kind of work through the fundamentals of some of these basic aspects of the nature of technology. And I found the paper absolutely fascinating because I hadn't seen someone take something on that big on the topic of technology, which just feels like an afterthought in education. It was it was a wild, a wild ride. And it was basically like I, I discovered this whole field called like philosophy and technology. And, I'm, and I basically just said, well, what would it look like if I basically just read the entirety of this literature and this like corpus and uh, one summer later and many, many trips to the library later, it's like, there's the joys of being a doctoral student. You can just fritter away time just in the library reading God knows how many books. And it was, it was wonderful. I loved every minute of it. And I wrote a paper, one whole paper out of it. Well, congratulations. So, Dan, now, obviously, we're not going to go give the background on you. If you want to hear your background, you could listen to episode number one for everyone uh, at home. But I do have a question about, so obviously, you've mentioned the the civics of technology a few times here. Do you mind telling us, and this could be everyone, what exactly is the civics of technology thing, and why wasn't I invited? <laughs> we we Marie and I had a very similar start, I think, to the podcast start, which is just we kind of were had interests in the same area. And Maria, I don't know if you remember like when we had the actual idea, the formation, 
As Michael said early in the podcast, I had to ban it because he was using it in every episode when we got our radioactive spider bite. But do you remember the moment we, we came up with the idea to talk about this? Not the exact moment, but I do remember every time we would be at a technology and education conference, we would be feeling frustrated and saying, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, and we could do the kind, we could we could have the community that we want to have. And then two years ago, we were like, let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. And we didn't have any prep pods. What did you call them? Prep episodes. Prep episodes, right? Prep episodes. You just went live right away. No. We went live. And well, we actually did it. You know, we got the website up and then it took us a little while to kind of form the ideas. And, but, you know, it's a, as an example, I just remember, like, I remember going to a session and I probably shared this with you right after it, or maybe you were there, Marie, but like, it was just on using like badges in education. And I'm just sitting there and there's this whole kind of like session and no one is saying anything. I'm like, this is just arguing for behaviorism, right? Like, I thought we all kind of agreed just behaviorism behaviorism as a centering technology or sorry, a centering like pedagogy in education was like not what we wanted to do, right? We want to do things like inquiry and exploration and discussion. And this was just narrowing education to these small, minute goals. And I know a lot of education is like that, but there was no kind of criticalness around thinking about like why we teach. And I think that was the theme for me is like, there was just that piece was missing. And so we wanted to be in conversation with people who were really interested in that and really cared about like the where education was taking us, not just using like little nudges to get people to learn a fact, but to actually like work with kids who want to make a more just and humane world. And that's became the Civics of Technology Project. And so we kicked it off in 2021. Is that right? I think it started beginning of 2021 when we started running the blog posts. I think 2022. So we so started January 2022. Right. So 23. Yeah. So yeah, is, that's right. We're starting so we, our third year. Yeah. And so it's and basically there's a, a range of things the site consists of. And so we could tell you about a few of those things and then talk about some of the assumptions. But if you go to our our website on the front, uh, we have in, we, we really worked hard on thinking about like what was the way we wanted to present what this was about. And so if you go to our site, it says on the front technologies are not neutral and neither are the societies into which they are introduced. As technology continues encroaching in our lives, how can we advance technology education for just futures? And so that was kind of our guiding mission statement on the site about what we wanted to do. And there's kind of two parts of that. And Marie and I can split this up. So one aspect of that was to think of technology through an ecological perspective, meaning that instead of just thinking about what a technology does, like what it's intended for, right? Like a car drives you from one place to another. We people should recognize that technologies have vast and interconnected and unintended consequences, right? Like they do all these other things we don't think about. So if you take cars as an example, which is one of my most common examples, it, you know, cars can drive you to a place. So they seem like a great form of transportation. But when you think about the environmental effects, not just pollution, but also just the way that sprawl has 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 led to humans invading, like increasingly invading, you know, animal habitats the way that it has hurt our health because cars have spread out societies to where people can't walk to their local baseball field in the neighborhood or their local pharmacy, right? So now we don't have those walkable communities that we used to have and how it's even maybe harmed our our notion of what transportation is, right? Cars are very point A to point B. Um, whereas if you walk somewhere, you have a totally different experience, right? Like you, you see 
you see all the details when you walk and even when you bike to a degree, right? But the faster you go, cars and highways just zoom you past things. And of course, then also cars have been used to separate communities. We know that highways have been built to increase segregation in communities, right? By like, and you know, I'm from Tulsa and a lot of people don't know that after the Tulsa race massacre of 1921, a lot of Greenwood was rebuilt. But then in the 70s, like many cities, they built a highway straight through the middle of it, destroying Greenwood again. It's hard to imagine to redestroy a black community that had rebuilt itself after a race massacre. And that happened often without a lot of controversy and is often left out a lot of our textbooks. And so that touches a little bit on the critical justice oriented side, which Marie really focuses on really well in her work. Yeah. And I think the cars example that Dan often uses to talk about, help us think through the ways that technologies are not neutral, they're unintended consequences. It intersects really well with the ways that society is not neutral because at the same time that you know, in the U.S., we're expanding highways. It is, intersects with desegregation. It intersects with the non-neutrality of society's systems of power and racism. So we, the U.S. can use the technology of roads to decimate neighborhoods, to exacerbate white flight, to build suburbs, to, to under a sort of this guise of technology, the technology also gets used to reinforce systems of power to allow for de facto segregation and to continue, for example, the example of Greenwood and many, you know, I think most every major city has this example of a highway that is built through a black community with with the intent to destroy the black community. And we were just at NCSS in Nashville. And, you know, I don't know anything about Nashville's history. And that was one of that's the main thing we learned there was that a highway destroyed the black community in Nashville. And so you see this happen in city after city. And so the main point is that, you know, we come from the perspective of social studies educators where most textbooks treat technology as progress, right? Like social progress, like it makes our world better. And what we want students to do, I think, in the classroom is to question that a little bit harder before we just assume that it's all positive and recognize that there's always trade-offs and we need to really sit back and and do some critical analysis to say are the trade-offs worth it and to what degree are they worth it and for whom you know and i think that's necessary so we can ask questions about cars about you know artificial intelligence about generative AI, right? Like if we're going to, if this is going to be unleashed into the world, if we have a critical perspective of thinking about it, we won't just be these kind of naive optimists. Like we kind of were with social media, right? Where we thought, oh, social media, it's just fun. We're all on here. And then 10 years (laughs) after it was introduced, it's like, we're worried whether Twitter is going to destroy democracy around the globe. Um, And so critical technology, being uh, critical about technology can help hopefully anticipate some of the potential problems and mitigate them before they get us into a really bad place, which Twitter and X probably are and have been for a little while now. Yeah. Do you ever think about the Luddites and maybe those guys were right? (laughs) We do think about the Luddites and we just had a whole book club on a new book about the Luddites. And this is like one of the many things we do in our community is we have book clubs. And so our, our most recent book was called Blood in the Machine. And it was by Brian Merchant, who just wrote this. And it's about both the Luddites of the past and big tech today. And it looks at it. It's an incredible historical story. And for people who don't know, the Luddites resisted the rise of industrial capitalism in in England in the early 1800s. And, you know, by breaking machines. And they broke the machines that they thought, like, were harmful to their 
culture, society, and way of being, and that were not good, right? And so they destroyed those, but they didn't destroy the machine. They weren't anti-machine. That's the big thing you have to get around Luddites, right? They were, they, there was lots of technology they used in their work. They just didn't want to use technology that degraded human life and, and human societies. So that's the type of stuff we do think about in civics of technology community. Yes. Nice. Because I think kind of tying into what you were saying earlier, Dan, is, you know, our question is, how can we advance technology education for just futures? And one of the things that we hope bringing that sort of social studies lens to interrogating technology is that it's it's not an inevitability, that the future is not inevitable. The future is not, you know, AI, generative AI everywhere. It is whatever in ways that we have control over, ways that we choose through choices we make and advocacy and actions we take, we have the ability to influence what the future and our relationship with technology will be. But if we don't think about that or learn about that or learn about historic examples of where other people have have wrestled with that very question, then it's less likely. And we will have the inevitable future of tech bro overlords instead of the future that we want for our best multiracial inclusive democracy. And I think as one example, you know, the writer's strike was just an example where they got on it quick enough to reject the idea that that, you know, generative AI was going to replace writers. And that became part of their bargaining. So you really that's like a modern Luddite movement. But to talk more about like kind of the idea, which we haven't used one of our key terms from the project yet that we're kind of introducing. Let me turn it over to Jacob, who so Marie and I got this thing started and one of the first people who got really involved is Jacob and he's pulled a lot of weight and load and added so much to our community. And it's a good story and just like people coming together around an area of interest. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that it offers, you know, the I mean, there's there's a website, but it's a community, right? And it's a the purpose is to bring people together like me, right? I mean, it's what I have met all of these awesome people that I that I've been meeting without the civics of technology, like pro- probably not. And I mean, it's it's this way of bringing together those of us who have all I think come to. I, I the the term I've been using a lot is just coming to consciousness, which is once you start to see this stuff, once you start to think about technology in these ways, you can't unsee it, and really, and then. And then what you really want to do is you kind of want to just nerd out over this stuff with other people who have read the same stuff and see this stuff as well. And so it's it's just it's fun. It's exciting. We do these book clubs and we all just kind of nerd out over these over these things. So what's interesting and what we've been working on is, I think, for a while trying to define and describe the it like what is it that we've all seen? It's so hard to describe to some people at times. We all wrestled with this. We're like, we're all we're all thinking very hard about technology education. And when you say that to somebody, it, it the things it connotates are just they take you on all the wrong directions. They're like, oh, technology education. I guess that you mean educational technology. And like, no, well, maybe, but but are are you teaching students how to you know? Are, are you basically like you know teaching shop? And like, no, I mean maybe, but 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 not really. So for me, at least, and for several of us, we've been kind of playing with this idea of techno skepticism as being a sort of anchoring concept that 
we can use as sort of our shared vision, our shared language of like, what is the it that we are driving at here? What are we trying to achieve as an educational project? But I also think of it as something of kind of like a stance that we're all taking when we think about and when we talk about technology, which is to say that the skepticism part, it's not pessimism. That's what, that's really important. I mean, there is such a thing as techno-pessimism. I read some of those, some of those books I read were very techno-pessimistic. And that's, that's not the idea. I mean, a, a skeptic, I mean, we, we think of it as a critical stance. And I mean, I love this, the metaphor. I think it's, I think it's one of Neil Postman's sort of nice ways of phrasing it is like a, an art critic is not anti-art. Art critics love art, and yet they can critique art, and they can try to parse good art from bad art, for instance. And I, I don't know if we've quite, we're, we're not quite saying like what's good and what's bad in technology world, but maybe a little bit. Uh, so this is, I, I, it's been a really generative idea, and I'd love to hear from, you know, my colleagues here how this idea is sort of unfurled in their own minds, because I could wax poetic about it. Uh, that's that's great, Jacob. And I also, I just want to echo what Dan said. I so appreciate the the perspective that you have brought and the opportunity to get to meet you and lots of other folks through the Civics of Technology site, in particular, that kind of, I'll say, STEM perspective, um, since, we, uh, since we sort of tended to focus on the more humanity, social studies side of things. And I think for me, this came about partly through work that Dan and I did with Brett Stott Willett on we were we were trying to figure out what ethics and technology in education might be and so we came up with a series of questions you might ask about technology and so that then led into what other kinds of questions might we ask and so for me that's kind of my trajectory from techno ethics what we were calling it to kind of techno skepticism which Dan has done a really thoughtful job with his work with Scott Metzger and kind of turning a lot of Neil Postman's work into those techno-skeptical questions. So I think, Dan, I'll, that's probably the next the next step. Yeah. And I think just for people listening, you know, a couple, I always have a, a couple of easy resources if you're interested in this stuff. One um, is on our curriculum page of the website where we have five critical questions about technology. This is one of our core things that the idea is that you any technology that comes up in your class, you could ask these questions, but you do have to do a little bit of thinking to make sure this, these discussions don't be about it yourself to make sure these don't become superficial. I always say Neil Postman, especially his book Technopoly, is like kind of the gateway drug into being more critical about technology. He, I call him the techno, a technological grump. He just is like always very, he's very skeptical about technology, including there's a good video of him online complaining about uh, cruise control. Like, why do we need this? And I'm just like, oh, I kind of, I'm okay with cruise control. So, I just want to um, say that I'm teaching my 16 year old to drive. And I thought of you the other day, Dan, because I know you, I've heard you say this very thing before about him. And I was like, I will teach you to use cruise control after you learn to accurately use the, the, accelerating the gas pedal in this car and understand how it goes faster and slower. And then, and only then will we perhaps use cruise control. Right. Cause the, you know, when you think about cruise control, even as a technology, even as an add on to a car, there's downsides to it, right? Like it would, it's certainly easy to kind of lose track of like what's happening around you potentially to space out because you're less engaged with the car. Now for me, I don't think 
that that outweighs the advantage of it, right? But the idea is that with all these technologies that we think through it and really think about it and think about how it affects our relationship, just because something is faster or efficient or easier doesn't always make it better. And one of the most important books I think we read in our book clubs was a book called More Work for Mother. I feel like maybe more than any other book, we reference it all the time. It's a great one for our social studies audience because it's about like the history of labor-saving technologies. And it's really fascinating because basically the end story is that it didn't save labor. What happened is it shifted labor to women and then it just changed expectations of cleanliness and like and the expectations of like how families were supposed to live and so the labor level like stayed similar it just changed and so the promise of technologies you know these grand promises often that we get don't happen those are usually pitches from companies and boy do we get them like quick and fast these days right like you want to live in a metaverse you need chat gpt to you know have a successful career like we're just throwing stuff and we think students need to be able to decipher mm -hmm. those types of things. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose, you know, the bridge, right, is that like we've, we all in the community, you know, we, we read things like Technopoly and more work for mother, and it's great. We love this stuff. And I, I, for me, and I know for many of other people in our community as well, I think what we are trying to do with this idea of techno skepticism in particular, but like also just the broader project is how do we translate this stuff to public education? There's certainly a lot of techno skeptical takes that you can find out in the historians, the philosophers, the sociologists. I mean, you'll find it out there sort of in academia but boy, this stuff does not ever seem to penetrate into schools. And really, that's kind of our collective project of like, how do we translate this and how do we put it into a, a digestible space where a teacher could actually pick this up? And I think about this from the science ed perspective, where, look, we teach about technology. We've been teaching about technology for years and years and years. I mean, this, these are the applications of science ideas. And we love this stuff and we put it into our science curricula but we never talk about any of the more complex ecological uh, implications of any of these sorts of things. It's usually like, well, we learned about some thermodynamics and this is how an engine works and engines, great efficiency and let's, then let's move on. Uh, but there's so much more interesting stuff there. And really what I've sort of been coming to see is that there's all these pushes within STEM education to try to make stem more real world relevant right like you know you're not just learning these neat little science ideas just because they're neat on their own but like they matter in our world and this is where the rubber meets the road for that kind of stuff honestly like you know if you want to look for what's a more relevant context for learning about science than to look at how these scientific principles are playing out in the technologies that shape our lives not just in these like hyper technical ways but in broad societal ways that are oftentimes unexpected and unanticipated. So I'll share just one little idea. This is this has been my project of the day, and I, I'm going to do it with my um, science methods students this spring, and I'm excited about it. So, you know, I taught physics and, you know, you do real, real basic stuff in physics, like, you know, you, you have figure out how to calculate things like acceleration and velocity. And it's like, it seems kind of 
distant from real world concerns. But I've come up with this cool inquiry activity and the cruxy question is, how long should a yellow light be? And it's a really fascinating little engineering question in the sense that you gotta know some physical properties of intersections and slowing down and speeding up and you gotta you know your kinematics. But on the other hand, there's some really interesting societal issues around this. For instance, about 10 years ago, there were quite a few flaps about cities that introduced red light cameras and they were accused of shortening their yellow lights. And they had some, they actually dug up some evidence where that actually was happening, that they were shortening the yellow lights simultaneously with introducing red light cameras to uh, increase revenue, obviously. And it just introduces so much good stuff. And it it makes makes me think of how that ties to these larger socio-technical systems even, right? The first thing I thought of when you said that was was Ferguson, Missouri, because if you read the reports that came out of Ferguson, you saw how the law, right? How to even technique was used around technology. Sitting in a car could get you a traffic ticket, which could then, if you didn't go to your court hearing, could add up in these costs. And you saw these unjust ways that technology intersected with society. So there's there's just, there's a lot to dive into. And it seems like we are missing the opportunity often in schools. We're hopeful that maybe people can, can you know, start thinking more deeply about technology because it's just moving faster. Technological change is moving faster than it ever has. Well, so with that being said, what advice do you have for educators who want to do just that, who want to spend more time with this, with their students? Well, uh, we have on our site, we have a lot of resources in terms of curriculum and lessons that you can do with your students. Or if you are thinking about as a teacher, introducing technology into your classroom. So one way is sort of this teaching students to think about technology and develop a sense of techno-skepticism. And the other is using it as an educator as you make technological choices in your classroom. So we kind of have both of those resources available on our on our Civics of Technology website. So I'll speak sort of from the te- the as if you are a teacher, what you might do about choices that you make. So I often in my position, am working with teachers who are getting their master's degrees in technology education. And so we take a techno-skeptical approach. We use a social justice lens to think about, okay, now that I know all of the, the, the bad stuff, I don't want my students to leave thinking, oh, great. So we're all just going to become little Google monsters so that Google can scrape our data and sell ourselves back to ourselves. Like, I guess that's it. I don't want them to walk away with that feeling. And so we think about ways that you can make personal change, you can make pedagogical change, and then you can make work for collective change sort of larger than just what happens in your classroom, but maybe school-wide or or system-wide change. And so... We have those on our on our website opportunities if you are going to integrate technology in your classroom, what you might think about, what kind of pedagogical, like if you want to audit the technology yourself, decide if it's something you want to use. And if it is, how can you do that with a more just intention? And if not, maybe you don't want to use it. And then what do you want to do instead? So you're saying that maybe we should think about instead of being so preoccupied about whether or not we could bring this technology into class, stop and think about whether or not we should. Yes. And then we'll get on the dinosaur rain train yes. and the velociraptors will come after us. That is exactly what I was going for. I appreciate you. Thank you very much.
And of course, that's actually a quote on our website. So let me let me mention our website real quick. I don't know if we've actually said it is civicsoftechnology.org. And if you're interested in any of this, you are welcome to join our community in whatever ways you want to, whether it's, you know, reading the blog posts or whether it's actually joining us for live events. So, but if you go to civicsoftechnology.org on the homepage or on the blog page, you can sign up for our listserv and you'll get a weekly email. We generally send them on Sundays unless something goes wrong and we need a break or something like that. But we generally send one email a week. That's all you'll get from us and comes from you know people in our community. And you're also welcome to write those. On our site, you can, of course, learn about us. We have a curriculum page, which I'll talk a little bit more about. We have the weekly blog post. You can find all our old ones. We have our events. Our events include we have a monthly tech talk. You can join. That's live on Zoom. I think it's kind of the opposite, Michael, of the Twitter chats, right? The Twitter chats was like a million people shooting tweets all at once. And it's just mm-hmm. like so much. And the tech talks are us in a Zoom call with usually like six or seven of us and just talking about things that we're interested in. So it's kind of more of a strong ties approach than a weak ties approach, I think, in some ways. And so that has been really fun. And we've met a lot of cool people through the tech talks. We have our book clubs and we'll be announcing our new books. We were just talking through which ones are coming up next. And we also have a list of our old books. And then we have a conference that we have every August. And so if you're interested, we have been very fortunate. Our first keynote speaker at our first conference was one of our heroes, Ruha Benjamin, who wrote Race After Technology, which is still probably one of my favorite books alongside Neil Postman's Technopoly. And she gave the keynote at one of our first ones. And her students in the Ida... B. Wells Justice Data Lab have been doing work and sharing it at our conference every year. And so her students are, a lot of them are mostly at Princeton and they come in and they look at technology from perspectives of immigration, health, you know, education, and these other really important things in society. And their their presentations have been profound and really incredible. So we're really, it's been cool to have students at our conference. And you can go look at our old conference page and a lot of the sessions where we had permission are still available to view on that page. And then also we have reviews and a research page. So if you're interested in some of the work we've done, we haven't mentioned like all our specific articles, but we've kind of organized them on a research page. And we have a lot of practitioner articles that we've written and then a lot and then research articles also. And so those are all available. It is the yellowest website. I don't think (laughs) you can find another yellow website much like it. Hopefully that helps with our branding. That's what we were going for. (laughs) The last thing I'll mention is just our curriculum page. And we have developed a lot of lessons that we hope are helpful. I mentioned our five critical questions are on there and they were inspired by a a talk Neil Postman gave. You can read, which will give you a little bit more background. And we have resources with all of these. We also have a technoskeptical iceberg, which is a metaphor for thinking through the different aspects of technology. But then we just have like specific lessons. So for example, if you want your students to think more deeply about technology, the first lesson I've done and several, we've done this together. Marie and I have done this lesson together several times with stu- with uh, classes of students is our technology quotes activity, which has your Jurassic Park quote in there. And we've been acquiring quotes and we have slides you can use, but usually we do it as a gallery walk where you put up the quotes around the room and students just walk around and, and make little pictures or comments they have on it. And then we talk about like the quotes and all the quotes help you really rethink technology. And so there's some Thoreau quotes and then there's some contemporary quotes from people like Sub- Sophia Noble who wrote Algorithms of Oppression. And so... Um, but there's a lot of other lessons on there. Um, Ryan Smiths did a really great lesson unfolding a smartphone, which really lets students think about like, what did we do before the apps on our smartphone? And it like looks at the longer history of how we 
communicated with people who weren't near us, right? So that's like replacing text message. And so it, there's a lot of stuff on there. There's some inquiry design model lessons and other things, and we're always adding more. So we've been working on it really hard, if you can't tell, and we're really excited to share it with everyone. And I guess to kind of continue kind of the, the thought process of like, you know, advice to to teachers, and we we really would love to interface with as many practicing teachers as we possibly can. Um, it's where it's where our impact we hope it to, to end up. And I think for for all of us, I mean, it, it, it's really about fostering kind of just like a curiosity about this stuff. And to look at the ways that in your instruction, you're teaching something about technology, you always are, whether you you are trying to or not, <laughs> whether you are intentional about it or not, you're always teaching students about technology in one form or another. And to just look at the things that you're already teaching about and just you know, foster the spirit of your own inquiry into these things, look a little bit more deeply into their history into the sorts of things and complex effects that they have on people on our society and it's just it's fascinating and if you kind of just go into it with this mentality of fascination and bring that to to students i mean i think a lot of students find this stuff infinitely fascinating as well it's 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 life it's the stuff of our life that, that it's worth looking at more closely so I mean, hopefully our, you know, the resources that Dan describes can give you, you know, nuggets, right, to, to kind of get you going on those inquiries. But all of us, you know, we're just sharing all of these little rabbit holes that we've gone down in the last like month or so. And all of us are sharing similar stuff. Like I just read way too much about this, about apparent for me, it's been traffic lights, obviously. And and it's just like, that's how you get there, though. That's how you generate these awesome lesson ideas. And I've gotten to like do some of this stuff with students. I've done a bunch of these things with like engineering students, which is its own kind of wild ride. So it can be done. It, <laughs> we're working on building out the slate of resources to, to help make it happen. And we're dorks because my comment on traffic light says you have to learn about Garrett Morgan. If you don't know anything about him, there's a great picture book for educators on Garrett Morgan, who is one of the inventors. Usually there's many inventors of the traffic light. And he also invented a crazy looking gas mask. And then actually to show people it worked, ran into a burning building and saved everyone. It's like the craziest story ever. Garrett Morgan. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. I look forward to checking out the website a little bit more. I am a subscriber, Dan. I did subscribe last time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me invade. You were a, a good invader. You're a good space invader. Yeah. Hope, hopefully our alien overlords in the future were as, are as kind as Jacob. So where can we find y'all stuff, your work online? Is there anywhere you want to point us to, Marie and Jacob? Most of my stuff is on the Civics of Technology website. So that is a great place to go. And under our About Us tab is more about me. And then a lot of my a lot of my research around this is located in our in our research tab. So that's a good place. I do have a Twitter handle, but I'm pretty much it's like turning to little ghost town over where I'm in my Twitter space. So it's probably not worth sharing. You will not find me on any of the social medias. So the place to find me is similarly civics of technology dot, dot org. Um, I, there were the one social thing I, I have, 
you can you might be able to find me on Strava if you look really hard, but I'm like the worst Strava user ever. So there you go. Well, thank you all for both working with me on civics of technology, being good friends, like thinkers. It's been really great you know, working on this project. And I was glad to be able to combine two of my projects together, Visions of Ed and Civics of Technology in this episode. So that was really fun. So we'll have to continue the discussion in the tech talks that you're going to join us on. All right. So at the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun in your creative education, or you just want to chat, you can try to tweet us at Visions of Ed on Twitter. We're also sometimes on Facebook. But really, anywhere you want us to be, including those tech talks. And if you haven't already, and this is really the, the big one, subscribe to Visions Event on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you'd like us to be. Where you and be, we will follow. We, we will now follow you. We're, we're It's episode 200 forward. We're following you. Um, just Michael and I walking behind you podcasting. And if you write us a five-star review, we will techno-skeptically question whether... The five-star review method is a good way for, you know, content to be curated. All right. We actually do have a five-star review. So this is great. I'm going to read this to you. This is, well, an excellent introduction from the ALA crossover. As a veteran ELA teacher tasked mid-career with an interdisciplinary history prep, this podcast has been indispensable for me for understanding the lay of this SS field. And in just a few weeks of listening to episodes that piqued my interest, I now have the language for all the weird pet struggles of secondary history teachers that have never made sense to me as someone with a lit slash ELA background. Doc sets, inquiry, the history of textbooks, debates within the field about the purpose of social studies education, all these topics I had hunches about while I was teaching my new prep. But now I have the disciplinary language to interrogate assumptions and advocate for innovation within my department. Thank you for this PD. And thank you to you. That was very sweet. That was such a thoughtful, well-written classic ELA teacher review. <laughs> well, and also thank you for that review, but also thank you to Zach Seitz of Zach Wiley Seitz. High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. You can find me talking to my friends at Civics of Tech. And you can find me raging against the machines. What Until next time, this is the this Visions of Vision Education, Education podcast. podcast. Signing off. Signing off. <laughs> Simultaneous. <laughs> <laughs>